Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building. And we're also located in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building. And now we're able to service clients in our Bonita Springs, Florida office. Visit our website at ellenbecker.com for more details, as well as to uh, read some educational articles. And we have a whole segment on different events that we're going to be hosting. So today we've got a great topic, and we're going to be talking about estate planning. But I'm going to throw you a curveball, because usually our conversations around estate planning tend to be uh, predictable or very common situations. Um, Today it's uh, going to take a little different turn where I'd like to talk about doing estate planning for possibly a challenging situation in the family unit or a child possibly facing some challenges uh, firsthand. And this is um, pretty important for us. In fact, if, if you've had the opportunity to sit across the table from me uh, during a one-on-one client meeting, or maybe you've had an opportunity to hear me speak at an educational event, you know firsthand that I talk about estate planning. And today we're going to be jumping into the deep end of the pool. And when I say that, I mean our conversation is going to be based on uh, experiences of working with families that are facing some challenges. So let's talk about it. When you hear the phrase trust fund baby, you might have an image of Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian. And based on some of their life choices, money may not have helped them make the best choices. The challenge of inheriting wealth is not limited to the ultra-wealthy. It may be somebody in your own family, and I've kind of given you a little insight on the direction of today's show. Um, Today, we're going to talk about what to do with estate planning when you're faced with a child that might be dealing with potentially alcoholism, substance abuse, maybe a bad marriage to somebody you might not trust, a child that just struggles managing money, and maybe there's a situation with gambling or, again, somebody being married um, to a spouse that they might be manipulated by. Um, I wanted to bring this up because, again, every family has a story, and it's um, so important to talk about the importance of creating an estate plan that's customized and designed for each family's specific needs and goals. Because when you think about it, when I work with clients, I help them be prudent savers. So we've made great savings, we've made sound investments, and we made sure people don't run out of money. And at the end, whatever's left over is typically distributed to their children. And what does that look like in your family? Again, sometimes there are situations where a child might be, need some guidance or even some restrictions on handling inheritance. 
So with that, I want to welcome a guest, uh, William Swenson, and he's an estate planning attorney at Swenson Hence, uh, located in Oconomowoc. And we're going to be having this conversation. And I know um, you've worked with clients firsthand, as well as I have, that have had these situations. Um, So first of all, I want to welcome you and um, give you an opportunity to share a little bit about you and your firm. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we're we're in Economwalk. We pr- pri- primarily represent Wisconsin families, and um, our our practice is mostly limited to estate planning and trust administration. So this is kind of the heart of what our practice that you've been discussing so far. So it's great that you're here to have this conversation, and you provide so much knowledge. Um, You know, I'm going to give our listeners a quote from Warren Buffett. Uh, He shares that most of his wealth will go to charity as he doesn't ever want to rob his children of ambition and drive to be successful. Um, That's a a great quote. It is. And, of course, certainly in any estate planning situation, one of the biggest concerns are that wealth will affect choices that are made by children. Well, I'm going to throw out another Warren Buffett quote because I know we know him as being this ultra-billionaire, and um, he always notes that he wants to give enough money so his children would feel they could do anything, but not so much that they could do nothing. And this gets into, you know, the the ultra-wealthy. Yes. Most of my clients, probably same with you, Gene, is that, it's not the of the world that have the choices between too much and and uh, too little. They have what they have, and they got they have to make um, make it work for them and their families and what they want their goals. Well, before we get into um, really the heart of the conversation of working with challenging family situations, I want to get to the basics of estate planning. And one of the biggest um, rules that I make certain my clients follow is they should always have an estate plan in place before they're in a crisis mode, whether it be for a financial crisis or health crisis. And there's a big difference between a will and a trust. Um, I always like to say, and maybe I'm taking your knowledge or um, stealing your thunder, and you can correct me where I go wrong because I am not an attorney, but I always say a will is a legal document that states who would you like to get your assets in the event of a death. It would go through probate. Some people think if they have a will, they do not have to go through probate, but there still would be a probate attorney that would be hired, and it would be processed, uh, the will would be processed through probate court. And it's very public. Everybody can see what they had and who got what. Most of my clients, as well I'm sure most of your clients, want to avoid that public um, viewing, and they want to keep things private. So oftentimes, they'll create a revocable trust. And a revocable trust is just that. It's revocable. You can amend it or change it during your lifetime, but you're creating this entity called a trust. And the biggest difference between a will and a trust is a trust avoids probate. It's very private, and nobody can really see what you had and who got what. And it's very difficult to contest a trust because you have to hire an attorney versus to contest a will, you would fill out a a form in the court system. Did I make any errors, or would you agree, expand? It's a, it's a really good summary. I guess that the I agree with you. The best time to do estate planning is not when you're 
in a stress situation where you can take the time to really think through what you want to do and why you want to do it. Um, I, I think that the, the contesting part is probably pretty similar for trusts and wills. Um, in both cases, whether it's a will or a trust, almost certainly the family who wants to contest a trust or a will is going to get an attorney. It doesn't change. Good to so, know. Um, one big difference between a will and a trust is if you create a revocable trust, you create the foundation where you could direct um, future inheritance to children and create almost like a, a trust for them, um, often referred to as an asset protection trust. Uh, and I say it's a little bit of protection, an eggshell, um, but it does create some uh, separate entity because it has its own tax ID number. The the trust for protection of of children and family can be done in a will or in a revocable trust, and in both cases, it would have a trust ID number after the death of the the trust maker or the will maker. So uh, it it. The idea of using a trust to protect families is really important, but it can be done in either in either case. So if I created a testamentary trust mm -hmm. inside a will, and that means that the trust is created at death. Correct. Um, and let's use a situation you have a husband and a wife and a child. We'll do this real simple. And the um, husband and wife pass away, and a trust is created for their child at death, meaning they had a will, and they created a testamentary trust for this child. Whoever administers that trust, would they have to go to probate court each year to really um, identify what the trust earned and what uh, distributions were made and why from that? Historically, for a long time, uh that was the case, that you created a will and uh, created a trust in a will. Each year you would have to account to the court. The trustee would have to account to the court what they did and how they did it. Um, about three years ago, coming up to three years ago, we had a big change in the law in Wisconsin, and that's no longer necessarily the case. Good to know, because we have a client who is in that situation where every year we had to report to him what the account earned and um, what investment fees were taken and so on. So he could really provide an accounting of the court or of the account to the court system. So it's good to know that that's changed. Probably doesn't change what you have to do, though, Gene, because the, in almost every circumstance, whether because of the trust document or the will or because of the law, the trustee still has to, to report to the beneficiaries. So they still need to know the income. They still need to know what the distributions are made. They still need to know what the expenses were. Good to know. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, another basic of estate planning is um, beneficiaries because we know certain accounts transfer via beneficiary and they don't even look at the estate plan. And I always use an example um, with a client. So I am married um, to a great gentleman by the name of Carl and um we have a trust, and my trust says if I die, everything goes to Carl. 
But I have a 401k plan, and that has a beneficiary as well as my life insurance. And I say this jokingly, but if I put George Clooney as my beneficiary, George Clooney would get my 401k and my life insurance. It doesn't even look at my trust trust document. Now, that's a bad example because George Clooney is not my husband, and my <laughs> real husband would have had to sign off on that beneficiary. But I use it as an example just to make a point. Yes, you'd have to sign up, sign off on the 401k, but not the life insurance. But you're right. It's one of the big issues and problems that come up with doing estate planning and having administration go well at a death or the incapacity of somebody. Um, have to pay attention to those things to be very careful. That is important. Now that we learned a little bit about the basics, I'm going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. Um, I do want to make note that we have an event going on at Ellen Becker Investment Group um, in the EIG Education Center on June 26th. We're going to be hosting a Family Wealth Series, Investing 101. If you'd like to learn more about that, visit our website at ellenbecker.com and look for the events tab. With that, let's take a break. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we're having a great conversation with William Swenson, um, an estate planning attorney. And um, we're learning about how to set up different estate plans based on the unique um, the uniqueness of our family and what goals we have for our children or our beneficiaries. And I'll share, during the break, we continued our conversation about beneficiaries. And William brought up some great points on that. And I'd like to share that with our listeners. Um, so let's share a little bit about what we talked about. Well, what I was talking about, or we talked about, was that um, this this use of beneficiary designations occurs not just with life insurance and revocable trusts, but there are lots of things that have beneficiaries attached to them. Uh, brokerage accounts have beneficiaries. Uh, bank accounts have beneficiaries. And what I see all too often is that whoever is opening that account um, brings out beneficiaries and talks about, oh, this is a really neat thing. You die and it automatically goes to your children or grandchildren or whoever you want and no need for probate and we'll just name this beneficiary. When in fact, they never ask, well, do you have an estate plan? Have you put together a estate plan? And how are things done? And where should the beneficiary be? Should be? So uh, my, my suggestion is, is that whenever you have an estate plan, whenever you're doing an estate plan, make sure that the beneficiary designations are coordinated with the estate plan. You know, and it's funny you bring that up because estate planning is one of the first things that we talk about when we meet with new clients. It's really the foundation of everything we do. It establishes account title and 
beneficiary. So if you are listening to today's show and you're thinking, oh, I could really use an estate plan and I could really benefit from somebody who's going to coordinate the beneficiary forms, you want to give us a call. And that's because um, we do help and facilitate conversations around estate plans. And then we say, all right, your 401k, your life insurance, this is what the beneficiary should read. And if we don't do it, we know our client is probably not going to do it. They live busy lives. They've been given this great document that says that they have this estate plan, and they think they're done. And what they don't realize is, number one, they have to fund their trust, meaning retitle some assets in the name of the trust. And secondly, which is so important, is to look at the beneficiaries, review them, and make sure it follows their estate plan. Exactly. Uh, it, the fact is, is that it, that you probably, knowing you as a good financial planner, meet with the clients annually, and annually those things should be reviewed. We do an estate plan. We talk to often the estate planners are not necessarily involved with changing assets or changing beneficiaries, although I think they should be on the team to do that. The fact is, is that they walk out of the office with this estate plan, with these instructions to change their beneficiaries this way or that way. And unless somebody's following up with them, almost invariably one year later when there's an annual review, nothing has happened. Well, I am hoping all my clients who are listening are smiling because when we sit down with them, we say, we created and you signed an estate plan dated XYZ, and these are the beneficiaries. Have any Has anything changed? Have you updated your estate plan without us knowing? So every Great. time a client walks in, we talk about it because we know it's so important. Let's talk about um, retirement accounts and beneficiaries. And the reason I'm bringing that up, when I look at my clients and their wealth, sure, they have bank accounts. And when you were referring to bank accounts having beneficiaries, were you referring to TOD or POD, which is um, transfer on death or payable on death? And again, um, I'm going to step back. If you have a bank account and you have an estate plan, you want to make certain that the bank account is either titled in the name of your trust or you create a transfer on death or payable on death to your trust. And I would recommend that of the two, the better is to to make the owner the trust. Agree totally. We're finding there are certain institutions where they struggle with that. And we always say, Plan B, not the best, but it is plan B, is have it payable or transferred on death to your trust. And my way of usually dealing with that is that I say to the bank, well, if you can't get it done, we know of at least 20 others that can, and they manage to get it done then. That's fabulous. Um, So let's talk about retirement accounts. And when I, again, I started um, saying when I look at my clients' wealth, the majority of their wealth, nine times out of 10, is in IRAs, 401ks, um, things of that nature. And beneficiaries are huge because, again, like we mentioned in the first segment, those accounts transfer via that contract. They don't even look at the estate plan. What happens is somebody submits a death certificate, they look at the beneficiary, and they uh, transfer that money accordingly. 
let's talk about beneficiaries on those large accounts. If you have a spouse. Well, uh, first of all, uh, when we're talking about IRAs and even 401ks or profit sharing plans, if you don't do anything, the contract itself will have a beneficiary. Um, and I don't know what it is unless you read the actual plan. I think normally it will be the estate. So you'll have a probate created by, by not having done the homework and getting a beneficiary. In terms of beneficiaries, um, the, this is a really big topic and more than a few minutes to talk about. Uh, typically, we would, in our, our office, put aside an entire meeting to talk about these things. In our case, we usually keep meetings to about an hour and 30 minutes, but we definitely use all of the hour and 30 minutes to talk about this. But the beneficiaries can be people, or they can be trusts. So you can, one of the uses of a, a trust is to receive the retirement benefits. And so that's the choice. And, and it'll have a lot to do, of course, with the values and goals of our clients of what they want to do. But since we're, this kind of radio session is about troubled beneficiaries, how do we deal with them? If you're concerned about your beneficiary you know, using, you know, making bad choices and losing all of this wealth that otherwise would be available for them, uh, or, or, or losing it to the creditors that they had prior to your death, practically the only way you can do it is by having the beneficiary be a trust. So let's um, talk about the different choices. <coughs> Excuse me. And you're sure. right. We could have a whole segment on beneficiaries. Um, so again, I'm going to talk about my family. So I have a husband, Carl, not George Clooney. And so <laughs> my primary beneficiary is Carl. And my contingent, and we have one child, um, would be our child. Now, I have created a revocable trust. And so um, we have a child who's young. And um, so we'll talk about that first. I don't know if she's going to make good choices and be a good steward of all the money that I've saved through my hard work. So um, I've set up some safety nets for her. So we've created an asset protection for her. So again, when I'm talking beneficiary form, primary is Carl and contingent is going to be her trust. So it says the Mary Trust created under the Carl and Jean Trust. So good, we've done good that. Good choice. Good choice. So now, now, and I've shared, she's a minor. So I've got to determine who's going to manage that trust for her if my husband and I were to have an untimely death. So initially, I was going to have my sister, Kathy, manage this trust for Mary. And I've decided it's really important for me that Kathy and my daughter, Mary, have a great relationship. So I changed that. Because Good I thought, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, money's a hot button. And as my daughter ages, let's say she was going to make poor choices on this money. It would be very difficult to, for her to maintain that relationship with her Aunt Kathy if my aunt, uh, her Aunt Kathy had to say no. And what if my daughter, Mary, married somebody 
who was making poor choices. And now Aunt Kathy is telling uh, my daughter's husband he can't have the money. Do you do you ever see that firsthand? Oh, I see. Uh, you see it all the time. The the fact of the matter is, when people come into and we start to talk about, you're way ahead of the game in the way you've described it. But mostly, people come in and we start talking about what their choices are. And here we've got a a choice. And they, what do they say? They say, "Well, my family all gets along." And my answer to them is, well, about once a week, you can read in the paper about how that's gone wrong. And I will tell you, in every one of those cases, the couple came into an attorney and said, my family gets along. So now, the thing is, is that most of the people actually do want to have their family stay together. And whenever there's, you put them in conflict situations you run the risk that that won't happen. And you, you've nailed it right on the head about the, it, it may be your, your child has an accident or illness. It may be that she matures late. She may be under somebody's influence, et cetera. Well, these are interesting um, topics that I know we need to continue. Yes. So I'm getting an indication that we need to take a little break here. With that, we'll be right back and we'll continue this uh, estate planning conversation. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor, and we are having a conversation with William Swenson, who's an estate planning attorney. And we've ended the last segment talking about beneficiaries. And as you can tell, um, this topic is near and dear to my heart um, in my own personal family, as well as with my clients. And we ended the last segment talking about creating an asset protection trust for my daughter, Mary. And the reason we did that is we wanted to create this division. So um, she's a minor right now. And so um, I initially had my sister, Kathy, her aunt, as the trustee. And we decided that we didn't want to continue that because we didn't want that relationship to ever go sour as somebody's controlling her money. And I see you smiling and nodding because you've seen that happen. Yes, I have. And, and it, it's a very good choice. I mean, first of all, we, what we probably should point out is, is that if you do nothing... Okay, your daughter gets everything at 18. That's the law. And uh, as I often say, if I had gotten any money at age 18, I'm not sure I'd be a lawyer. I would have had a Corvette for a while and then lost it. And I probably would have tried to play professional tennis and very badly. And and in the end, I'd never get back to college or or law school. Bad choices are being made because money is available. And that's what you referred to before with Paris Hilton. Sometimes that's called affluenza, right? That that's they right. Get too, much, too much money or money at the wrong time. So absolutely, having, having a trust is a great idea. When they get it, that's another topic. But now we're talking about who the trustees are. I'm, I'm a big believer in using corporate trustees if we can. Why do I say if we can? Because at some point, a trust can be too small for using a corporate trustee. And I would generally say that you 
can use a corporate trustee as long as the trust is somewhere up, somewhere more than uh, three hundred thousand, certainly more than five hundred thousand, something in that range. When it gets less than that, probably the cost of the trustee would would uh, would make it impossible to have. But by the way, most trustees, whether they're family members or not, are entitled to a trustee's fee, reasonable trustee's fees. The, but besides protecting the, protecting your daughter, you know, you're a financial planner, okay? She gets it at 18. She may not go and see anybody that you care to have her in giving her investment advice. And in fact, what we see often when it's individual trustees, the, the aunt, uh, the cousin, whatever, um, investment decisions are very poor. Uh, not just distributions, can I have it for a Corvette, but do I invest it in a, in a uh, well-balanced portfolio or do we keep it in cash? And we certainly saw that after 2008 when the stock market crashed and we saw 40% loss in value. Um, we saw all sorts of trusts that were managed by individuals never recovering. 10 years later. And it's interesting that you bring that up because um, we're going to take my daughter's trust and advance it to a point where, again, instead of having her Aunt Kathy manage that money, we've decided, in my example, that we're going to use a corporate trustee. And one of the benefits of that is you can have somebody administering the distributions and helping make decisions on cash flow. And you can have a separate person managing the investments. And it's kind of a check and balance situation, but you know that your child is always going to have somebody that has a fiduciary role in investing that money properly, as well as distributing it properly. And you're right, for both of those um, services, you'll pay a fee, but that fee would allow you to sleep well knowing your child, and we're talking about kids today who might be troubled or challenged, will always have a roof over their head and food on the table. And that provides so much peace of mind, which is really, in the end, why the estate plan was created exactly. in the beginning. Exactly. The estate plan is created for the parents to provide that peace of mind knowing all their years of saving, investing, and being such a great steward of their own money to pass on this financial legacy to their children will continue. And again, we've seen that um, straightforward with our clients and them choosing corporate trustees for that reason. The, the, the change of the trust code, the, the law that I was talking about earlier, about three years ago, made it possible to be able to have uh, an investment trustee, a distribution trustee, and a regular trustee. And uh, so those people out there that are listening and who have done their estate plan and have used a revocable trust and say, well, we didn't do that. It may be a matter of, well, it was just done a number of years ago when it wasn't authorized by statute. So let's talk about um, the challenges kids might face that would really um, encourage parents to consider um, putting a corporate trustee into their plan. Um, give us some examples, obviously not revealing names or identity, or some situations that you've encountered in your practice. When 
when doing this planning for families with children, especially with uh, children under maybe 30 or 35, I think the biggest example I can give, I see over and over again, are those who are struggling with addiction, of one kind of addiction or another, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, gambling addictions, sex addictions. And um, these are really significant issues, significant problems, and often the people that are creating the state plan are caught up in that. They're codependents. And so it's very, very difficult to do. But this is where having someone uh, as a trustee who can make sure that the funds are not being used to further their addictions. So when you meet with families that are faced with some of these challenges, um, do you find sometimes that they're in denial? Always. Yeah, the, I mean, but it, I sh- always is too much. But they don't always come to estate planning because they have a child that is addicted. And in fact, we've it, it, it's, it, that's why as an estate planner, we don't just meet with them once or twice. We meet with them usually three to five times. And the reason is, is that there's a comfort level before you can share that kind of information that, that they have, uh, the de- denial. And um, we need to find out where they are and what kind of treatment they are receiving as parents, as codependents, and what kind of treatment their children are receiving for their addictions. Well, and I, I think you can tell just sitting across the table from me, our practice runs very different than a traditional brokerage firm. I know it does. And um Our first meeting is about an hour and a half, two hours, where we literally are listening. So when you see that billboard that says, before we advise, we listen, by the end of that meeting, we are learning so much about their goals, their family situation, uh, their limitations. it's they've they've disclosed so much and initially they'll say yeah we've got great kids you know Johnny right. and Susie and by the end of the meeting um, they are starting to share in fact during one meeting uh, recently the husband broke down in tears because he said it's the first time we've ever said openly to his, uh, somebody in the public what our family is faced with and it was a relief for them it 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 it's a secret. It's a family secret. The addicted child demands that it be often demands that uh, that it be a family secret, and and so you're right. Uh, they don't want. They come not prepared to share that. And it's very emotional. And, very emotional. Um, I don't know how many hugs I've received after some of these meetings, or emails thanking us for broaching this topic because they knew it had to be addressed and they always just swept it under the rug. And you're right, it was the start of a healing process for them as a couple and really putting everything in place to make certain that they can sleep well knowing their child will be cared for um, in a different sense. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, staggering distributions because oftentimes... We call them birthday cake trusts. Birthday cake trusts? I love it. it. Because what you're talking about is a trust that gets distributed a little bit at various ages. And And it could be staggering. That's the usual. It could be staggered by distributions for events, right? So much if you get 
married for the wedding and so much for the the purchase of a first house or the starting of a business. Well, we're going to continue this conversation and talk about staggering distributions and the pros and cons of that, because I often hear when I sit down, they're going to give 20% at this age and so on, and it gets kind of interesting. And I can tell you have a ton to contribute to this. With that, let's take a brief, brief break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you want to reach out to me to create this estate plan for you and your family, give us a call at 262-691-3200. Today, we are lucky to have William Swenson. He's an estate planning attorney in Oconomowoc, and he is providing us with a ton of expert knowledge and experience and creating estate plans where families might have uh, children facing different challenges. Um, We ended the segment talking about staggering distributions from an estate plan. And when I refer to that, oftentimes couples will say, you know what, I don't want to give everything to my child at age 18. They're young, making possibly poor decisions. But I'm going to give them 25% at age 25, another 25 at 30, 35 and 40. And, you know, when we hear that, sometimes I go, stop, because anytime money leaves a trust, what does it lose? Protection. Protection. So um, expand on um, the do's and But beyond that, once you have, once you have this mandatory distributions at particular times, no matter what the dates are, you need to realize you've already lost the protection because the courts, while you can't go and tell a trustee to distribute before age 25, they could still enter into a court order that says, when you turn 25, I am ordering that it get paid out to this creditor or to this spouse in a divorce. So using a staggered staggered trust where there are mandatory distributions at certain dates doesn't help you give any protection to your kids. I'm so glad you said that. The alternative is what is sometimes harder, sometimes hard for people to accept, but that is by picking good trustees, knowing what they're doing, you don't make a distribution, required distribution to children. And you leave it up to the trustee to do it. Perfect. In fact, sometimes we'll tell our clients, don't buy the lake house when you receive your inheritance. Have the trust buy the lake house. Absolutely. Um, and keep it in the trust name. So I'm um, so glad that we talked about that and people understand that because sometimes they think they're doing so much benefit for their children by staggering these distributions when in the end they're losing all protection. But for some people it may be the only way that they can go, that the the rest of it seems hard or difficult for them. Then I will use staggered trusts as a means by which we can get some protection some something happening the children are not receiving their shares at 18 they're receiving it at a, at some later date well um let's talk in the situation where somebody actually wants to disinherit a child and mm. i um have had that with client meetings um give us your experience when working with clients that want to disinherit a child well i if, i want to break it down into two parts 
The first one is that where they come in and they say, I have a disabled child. I have somebody that has a disability, and I want to disinherit them. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the money to their siblings, and I'm going to ask the siblings to take care of them. And I think that's just, it's beyond our show today, I think. But it is the wrong solution, and it's much better to provide for among many different kinds of trusts and instruments that we can use to protect the the disabled child and not create this terrible conflict between the disabled child and their siblings. And it's well, not uh, even a, the, the conflict. If the child were to get divorced or sued or have creditor issues, they lose it. They lose all the money that was really set aside for that disabled child. Right. right. And, and, and I will tell you that that's a big problem. Those are issues that we see on a regular basis with the disabled child coming in and saying, you know, they were supposed to keep this money for me, but they don't spend any money for me. Um, not a regular arrangement for protecting the child. And there's a lot of things that get go involved with that. With respect to dis, with disinheriting other children, um, I, you know, it, it, I don't usually get in the way of what they want to do. If that's what they want to do, my job as an attorney is to do it correctly. And uh, generally speaking, um, what we will do is we will put what in the will or the trust, a specific statement that says that the parents intended to um, not leave anything for them. We rarely, if ever, and by the way, this is there's not agreement among attorneys when I say this, but we will generally not put in reasons of any kind. We would just say that it's being done. Intentionally. Intentionally. We intended to not leave anything for Bob, period, and that's it. And that's the way we would handle that issue most often. Um, but I would typically ask the people why it's going to happen. I would typically, within the context of our meeting with the client, um, take down explicit notes and sometimes even put together affidavits for the, the grantors of the trust or the will to sign as to why. So... When I hear those situations, and we do have them periodically in our own offices, do you you do have a conversation on why, and you do Absolutely. sometimes guide them to fully understand and make them aware. Oh, I, I mean, that's our that's our job. It's not just direct the whether it's you as an investment counselor or me as an attorney. It, you may be involved in investing, I may be involved in drafting something, but our job is to understand their circumstances and to give them the range of options that they have and the solutions and help them pick the right solution for their case. In this situation, would Bob ever know about that document? I mean, obviously, if he's a child, he'll come to the uh, meeting to um, understand, or would he not even be invited into that meeting? If, if, Bob, if it's a will, Bob will see the will because any heir, any child will get the will. If it's a trust, um, we there is no obligation to give it to the heir, and we can specifically provide in the trust that it will not be disclosed to him. Good to know. In situations like that, 
what I've started to advise clients to do is to create a love you, I love you letter, um, whether it be for the other children or the child, um, getting a, a corporate trustee or whatever unique provisions were put into play. I always say it's best for a child to know it was done out of love. And obviously, if you're disinheriting a child, that's a different situation. But sometimes that letter can provide a ton of knowledge for the other children or for the child that this is impacting to really put closure and almost like a healing um, for everybody involved, Um, whether that happens or not. Um, really depends on the situation and the person, but it's so important when any specific um, differences between children are made and trusts in amounts or anything um, that we uh, definitely disclose that in a letter. Well, I want to thank you, William, um, for coming on to today's show My and pleasure. sharing your, really enjoyed this. your expertise. Um, again, with that, uh, as always, we hope that we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Be well and enjoy the day.